previously on At The Movies with Arch Campbell, Jen Chaney, and Luke Katz. I love it when Latanya yeah. writes in. Always great to hear mm-hmm. from her. And yeah. she writes, Merry Christmas yeah, to you, Arch. Yeah, she's got the holiday spirit. D- do you know what the sheep said to the shepherds at Christmas? Yes, they said, season's bleedings. <laughs> At the movies with Arch Campbell, <laughs> newbie Jen Cheney, uh, 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 and yours truly, Lou Katz, begins right mm, now. And we bravo. do it by welcoming a man who's never listless, <laughs> Mr. Arch Campbell. And I wrote that introduction myself because this is our list show, Jen, and I love this time of year when we bring This is like Santa Claus. We check our list. But this is the, this is our our show of lists of uh, the movies and the uh, television shows we like this year and at your suggestion over the whole decade. What do you have to say about the movies of 2019? You know, I think it was there were a lot of good movies and movies I appreciated. I don't know that there were that many that I felt really passionately about and that I felt like I'm going to be watching this movie over and over again mm-hmm. for the next mm-hmm. 50 years. Um, but there was a lot of great, great stuff this year. So, you know, we've got a 10 best list for this year. I wonder if it would be better for us mm-hmm. at your suggestion to talk about the best movies of the decade Do and the first. movies that will last since you brought that up. And and because of you, I made a list of films, I think, that influenced the decade. Okay. So shall, I'll throw one out and you throw one out. And okay. Let's see where we go. And All right. The, the bottom of my list, I put the Avengers because I think that has that has great influence of the of the Marvel, the graphic novel, the comic universe, and that the Avengers, when they put all of those characters into one movie, they made a statement and they created that new wide universe that can go uh, a million different ways. What do you think? I think influence-wise, that's absolutely right. I didn't make my list based on influence. I did it the opposite, like what I responded to. Oh, well, that's good. So my the first one on my list, my number 10, was not influential at all, I don't think. Uh, <laughs> it was Inside Lewin Davis, the Coen Brothers film, uh-huh, which uh-huh. I thought Oscar Isaac was fantastic in. And I felt like nobody saw it. And in terms of the Coen Brothers pantheon, it doesn't get talked about very much, but... It's one of my favorites of theirs, I think. Well, and you know, I think that was one of the movies that uh, that brought Oscar Isaacs to everybody's attention. It did. So in that regard, it's influential, I suppose. He he, uh, you know, he started to uh, kind of get more work around that time, and and uh, you know, now is in Star Wars and all kinds of things. A, a tremendous actor. Well, I added one because it spoke to me, and I don't know if people remember it. But as far as uh, an influential movie of the decade, I added The Master. Mm. I think it was the last movie that Philip Seymour Hoffman made. I thought it was a great performance by Joaquin Phoenix. It's Paul Thomas Anderson and an epic about a religious cult. It was a long movie, and I think they made it in a special format, 35 millimeter. I remember going over the AFI to see it in the big format. And it's, it's a movie that stayed with me. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. I think one of the great losses of the decade was the loss of Philip Seymour Hoffman, yeah. who was possibly my favorite actor. I mean, I could watch him in anything, uh, and he always, he just brought everything to another level, and I was just always fascinated by the choices that he was making. And He's the just... leader of a cult in The Master, and right. uh, Joaquin Phoenix is kind of his his follower, his disciple. 
Right. And, and it, it's, they won't say it's based on Scientology, but it's clearly based yeah, on Scientology. Yeah, yeah. So that's for me, the master. All right. My next one is um, a film by Edgar Wright from earlier in the decade, Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Oh. Which was a really yeah. fun, like, video game uh, based on the comic book movie. Kind of a romantic comedy, but uh, just a lot of fun, really well directed. The kind of movie that you can go back to and watch over and over again. And who was, was that uh, John Senna? Michael Sarah. Michael, Michael, yeah. Michael Sarah plays uh, the sort of reluctant hero, I guess you would say. And that <laughs> kind of introduced him, didn't it? Mm, no, I don't think so. He had so. done some other stuff. He'd, he'd been in Juno already. He'd been on yeah, Arrested yeah. Development. But he was he was the lead in a way that he hadn't been before. So in that sense, it was it was a sort of a, a milestone for him, I guess. Okay, movies of the decade, I added Spotlight. Mm. Because I think it was the best investigative thriller of the last 10 years. And it was the first film to really approach all the president's men. And uh, the cast was terrific. And uh, who was that? Tom McCarthy directed? Yes. Uh, I, I thought it was just, you know, if you watch all the president's men, it still is, a th- is it still works. It's still good. And I think that's the same uh, thing for uh, uh, Spotlight. Yeah, absolutely. Great movie. So my next one is kind of a cheat. Uh-huh. Because I... I we like that. Yeah, because I kind of put two movies together, but you'll understand why. Toy Stories 3 and 4. Right, yeah. Because, uh, you know, I didn't think that they could make more Toy Stories and make them as good as they did. Especially with 4, because I felt like 3 was like the end of a trilogy in a way, mm-hmm. and it wrapped everything mm-hmm. up really nicely. But I st- in 4, I still felt like they had something really important uh, to say. Tony Hale in 4. just Forky! A ridiculous know? concept yeah. of a character. A plastic just spork. Totally so uh, infused it. Yes, yeah. yes he did. I added Boyhood. Because of the the fact that uh, Linkletter uh, spent 12 years on it. And it's uh, a coming-of-age film shot over a dozen years. And it truly captures the passage of time mm-hmm. for me. Yeah. It was my favorite movie that year. And, and it did not win the Oscar, which I thought it would. But I think Boyhood is worth looking at again in the decade. Yeah, I almost put it on my list, and the mm-hmm. only reason I didn't is because because of its length. Yeah. I think it's it doesn't lend itself to repeat viewings as much, although I agree mm-hmm. with you that it's worth mm-hmm. going back to look at again, but I thought that was a great movie. And the fact that it is so long is what ultimately makes it have the impact that it does uh, at the end of it, when you feel like you've watched this, not just the boy, but the whole family kind of grow and change over this period of time. So I <laughs> have another kid's movie on my list. Uh, because this surprised me so much that this was good. I thought it was going to be a disaster. The Lego movie. Oh, which yes. Which I just thought was going to be a two-hour product placement, mm-hmm. a toy commercial. And it was so inventive and Everything so funny. Everything is awesome. Everything is awesome. <laughs> and the twist at the end I didn't really see coming. Uh-huh. And it just it, it, it worked on a much deeper level than I expected, not to mention that it was just... Completely entertaining. Then they made Batman Lego, which was, you know, which I would throw in there. Yeah, I like that one too. I added Lady Bird by Greta Gerwig because um, it was her move announcing her talent as a director and her use of, uh, and I always mispronounce the name, Circe Ronan. Saoirse. Saoirse. Here's how you can... 
remember. Saoirse. She always says it. Saoirse rhymes with inertia. Oh, Saoirse, Saoirse Ronan. <laughs> Saoirse Ronan is sort of the Greta Gerwig stand-in now. And in Lady Bird, she was just, uh, I just thought it was an extraordinary movie. Just extraordinary. It's on my list and it's up Mother, higher. Mother, daughter. Um, because I liked it so much. And mm-hmm. I think it has maybe the best opening of any movie of the decade when oh. she's in the argument with her mom and just jumps right out of the car. Out of Amazing. The car. <laughs> so, uh, Lady Bird for me. Yeah, so my next one is a film called Short Term 12. Oh, yeah. Which yeah. Uh, is about uh, kids and, uh, you know, sort of a... It's not a foster care situation, but they're in like a, a home for kids who just really don't have families. Mm-hmm. And... The cast of this movie, every, almost everybody in it has gone on to do amazing things. Brie Larson, yeah. uh, Lakeith Stansfield, mm-hmm. uh, Caitlin Deaver, just really talented young kids. And it, and, the, and it felt very, very real. And it's a really touching movie. If you never saw it, you should go back and check it out. And I want to throw in a plug for the decade for Bridesmaids. Mm. Because Bridesmaids reimagined comedy for women. It made a star of Melissa McCarthy. Uh, the cast, uh, most of them went on to do wonderful things. Ellie Kemper's in it, and uh, Maya Rudolph, uh, Rebel Wilson, mm-hmm. and Bridesmaid, I think, is a memorable movie of the last 10 years. Yeah, that one almost was on my list, too. I was really, uh-huh. if you ask us to make these lists, like, <laughs> one day we might make one list, and the next day we exactly. would probably put different things yes, on it. Um, but I love Bridesmaids, too. My next one is The Wolf of Wall Street. Oh, wow. Because I, that's a movie that if, it, if I happen upon it on cable, I'll be like, I'm going to watch this. Like, mm-hmm. and, and, I, and I think one of the best film sequences of the decade is the whole scene where DiCaprio takes the pills and then he oh, just gosh. gets knocked out and is like dragging himself yeah. to the car. And I, I thought his performance in that was just unbelievable. Just an yeah. unbelievable. I mean, he's good in everything, but that was extraordinary. And that introduces Margot Robbie. Right? Yes. That that's was right. her introductory mm-hmm. film. Uh, I think any discussion of movies of the last decade, you have to include Moonlight mm. because it made those kind of stories possible. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, you know, sort of a three generation story. It's uh, the love between two men, and it's, uh, it is an artful and uh, beautiful film, Moonlight. And then, of course, there's the uh, result at the Oscars. One of where... the most memorable TV moments of the decade, for sure. <laughs> so Moonlight, I think, you know, made an impact. Yeah, absolutely. Great movie. What else you got, Jen? So my next one is just is one that I liked so much and I felt like nobody saw, nobody really talked about. And that's the movie Tully with Charlize oh, yeah. Theron. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's about her. She's having another kid. She's a worn out mom. Uh, and her husband convinces her to hire like a night nanny to help overnight so that she can get more sleep and just kind of get herself back together. And it's just such an interesting, smart commentary on being a mom. And it goes in directions you don't expect and has this twist that is so well earned and, and adds another layer to the story. If you as haven't far seen as it, the twist goes, I never saw it coming. Yeah. And did you? I don't know. I don't and, think I did. And you and I, you know, we we know twists. We can figure out a twist pretty easily. I never saw it coming. It was uh, it was a revelation. Yeah, and sometimes twists they feel gimmicky. Yeah, or like they were yeah. just doing it to show off. But Not this one, this. this one did 
like uh-huh. it had a really good reason and it said something really important about the expectations that society places on women when they're raising kids. Now you asked to discuss the best movies of the decade and yeah. I put down my list and this is the first one that came out of my brain and it is Get Out. Mm. Is that on your list? It's number one on my list. Oh, well, there you Well, actually, it's number one on my list because I only came up with eight. He's working on his math, Jim. He's got some, he's got some issues with the math. Oh, no, here, I've got I've got a couple of others. I oh, do okay. have the, Well, it's the page skipped. Get out. But I put get out because it came up with a new way to tell a horror story that uses social commentary and comedy. And I think that it has inspired a whole new brand of horror film. I would agree with that. I think a lot of horror is social commentary, but it's it's a lot more, um, the social commentary part is really buried. And Jordan mm-hmm. Peele just kind of tackled it head on. And I think, you know, that movie came out in February of 2017, like right after Trump was elected. And there was just, even the timing of it, you know, the right. the sinister nature of what was going on in that movie felt like it, it arrived mm-hmm. at just the moment that it should have. It's just a solid, great movie from beginning to end. Uh, so, yeah, I agree with you. Okay, now I got my list out of order. <laughs> so this is number nine, but uh, I would put uh, Wonder Woman and Black Panther. I'd put them both uh, together because um, they plowed new ground they opened new doors in that kind of uh, superhero um uh venue uh wonder woman gal gadot or godot you call her godot or godot i think it's actually gadot i think it is gadot she's a star and uh i think it was going to be impossible to get us past linda carter mm-hmm. and she did and Black Panther, the same way, was just an incredible universe they formed. And uh, those two, just as uh, superhero movies, uh, expanded the form. Yeah, and apparently we're, you know, we have a trade relationship with Wakanda. I don't know if you saw that story, <laughs> that it was in like really? a government database. And uh-huh. they're like, uh, we need to delete that. <laughs> so... My one and my two, we already talked about. Uh My one was Get Out and my two Uh was Lady Bird, which leaves me with my three, Uh which is controversial in that some people said, well, is this a TV show or is this a movie? But it was, it won an Oscar. So I'm going to say it's a movie. O.J. Made in America. Oh, yeah. Yeah. In-depth documentary about O.J. Simpson, which one's initial response would be, I think I've had enough of O.J. Simpson. Thank you very much. But it was so well done and. Just, and how many hours? It oh was man. several hours. It was a lot of hours. And uh, my wife and I were just, we were uh, riveted. Yeah. We couldn't wait until the next one. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that happened a lot this decade in general was that we were invited by pop culture to go back and re-examine stories that we mm-hmm. thought we knew and see them in a different way. And yeah. and that happened not, not once, but twice with OJ um, because of the People versus OJ TV show on, on FX. And I thought this was sort of the maybe the pinnacle of, of that process of going back at a history that you feel like, oh, I know this story already, and going, mm, maybe I don't. Maybe I haven't thought about this quite enough. What did we have that replicated each other? We both had Get Out. Get Out. And we both had Lady Bird, and I think those were mm-hmm. our only uh, hmm. I also added uh, Hell or High Water. Oh, that's a great movie. It's yeah. a movie that just uh, spoke to me because it's a modern Western, and this guy, Taylor Sheridan, 
is a uh, wonderful writer, and uh, I look for his work now. So mm-hmm. that's what we've got to say about the decade. And you know, we are, Arch, but, I don't mean to interrupt, but I yeah. think you guys left a major film off. <laughs> oh. Is it Cats? No, not, not Cats. I mean, real. let's go back to uh, 2017. Yeah. I think the biggest movie of the decade by far, the Emoji Movie. Ah, now, now how that didn't make your your I, critics list of the top ten I movies of the decade? Really, guys? I, well, you know, it slipped my mind. I'm going to tear up my list and start over. Please, that. Jen, begin from scratch. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, well, we'll get on to the best movies. Uh, Lou, you have a. I think we have our movie quiz here. Oh, oh, a quiz. Yes. Yeah. How many times has Meryl Streep? Been nominated for an Oscar, but have lost. And lost. And lost. How many Oscars has she lost? Well, we're going to have the answer for you in just a little bit towards the end of the podcast. So stick around for that. Hmm. Hmm. I'm trying to remember. Get get Uh out your calculator. You might need it for this one. This is the CATS podcasting system. those chimes hey before we get right back to arch and jen with our at the movies podcast it's lou with a little shameless plug on hound radio my own little internet radio station that i have in my basement it's music it's chat it's this and that it's an adult contemporary format good thing is there's no commercials on there we feature associated press news also associated press showbiz buzz during the week so we got you covered there and also we have some freebies like a free bagel brunch courtesy of Steve Fleischman and Bethesda Bagels. You can sign up for that and other goodies, too, when you go to our website at houndradio.com. And don't forget, we also offer a free mobile app for your Apple or Android phone. You got the links right there on our website. Thanks in advance for listening. Okay, we're talking about the best movies of 2019. We have just gone through the best movies of the decade and I thought it was a pretty good year for movies. Mm-hmm. Although I thought it was a pretty good year for sort of mid-level movies. And so maybe that's good. Uh, mm-hmm. So we'll see. Here's my uh, 10 best. Uh, number 10, Little Women. Mm. I think they, that she, Greta Gerwig, just re-energized that material and made it accessible in a new way. And she added these, these asides with the uh, publisher, that uh, yes, she goes Tracy to, Letts is yeah. great in that movie, and and I I just thought it was delightful. So my ten number ten is Knives Out. Lot people are loving Knives Out, and I should say that I I spent a lot of time <laughs> thinking about this list. By which I mean I wrote it five minutes before we started this podcast uh, with my pen. <laughs> yes, I stole Arch's pen and made a list. But no, I thought that was just a really. Well done movie. Again, we were talking about twists, and that was one where I didn't necessarily see all those twists coming. And part of it was because I was just enjoying the movie and not necessarily trying to puzzle it all together. Highly entertaining. And, you know, Knives Out may show up at the Oscars. I don't know. I mean, maybe in, like, screenplay or something like that. You know, here's number nine for me, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Mr. Rogers from a different angle. I liked that Tom Hanks showed the less perfect side of Mr. Rogers. And uh, I thought they built on the wonderful documentary from the previous year. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just one of those good, uh, wholesome family movies that everybody can see and enjoy. Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. 
So my number nine was Brittany Runs a Marathon. <laughs> which Good for you. Which I was actually surprised by, you know, about a woman who decides, you know, she's going to start running even though she doesn't really want to do that and mm-hmm. eventually gets so into it that she actually runs a marathon. And I have never run a marathon. I've really never run a mile. <laughs> um, but it was very moving, um, especially when she actually finally runs the marathon. And um, I saw it with a friend who has run one mm-hmm. and she's run the New York City Marathon, which mm-hmm. is in the movie. They actually shot at the New York City Marathon. And it is very um, emotional watching people do that, knowing yeah. the amount of work that goes into it. Yeah. My number eight is Queen and Slim. This is a breakthrough film. It's a breakthrough director. It's the crime thriller reimagined. Daniel Kaluuya and uh, his uh, star is a new actress I was not familiar with. They're uh, stopped uh, for a, a minor traffic infraction and uh, things get out of control. And the policeman is shot, and they go on the run. And it's a modern Bonnie and Clyde, and it's thrilling to watch. It's a thrilling reimagining. Yeah, I've got to check it out. I haven't seen it yet. I, it's And it is showing up, and uh, the people who are watching Queen and Slim are um, pretty thrilled by it. So my number eight is Rocketman, the uh-huh. Elton John mm-hmm. musical, which... Love it. Uh, I was not a huge fan of Bohemian Rhapsody from the same director, although he had inherited that project from yeah. Brian Singer. And I thought Rockin' Man was really delightful and that it really was more like a uh, sort of a Broadway musical style thing with dance numbers. And uh, and I thought Taron Egerton, who played Elton John, was just terrific. Yeah. And it's nice to see people responding to a musical like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I think back about 2019, I uh, would put as number seven, Ford versus Ferrari. Mm. Cars and family and friendship. The acting was just terrific. The racing scenes, terrific. Tracy Letts again shows up as Henry Ford II. And uh, just a thoroughly uh, entertaining film. If I hadn't made this list in, you know, two seconds, (laughs) I might have put that on mine too. Uh, My number seven is Toy Story 4. Good, Um, good. Forky. uh, Forky. Tony Hale. And I thought... I'm going to be a little bit braggy for a minute. Uh, I wrote a whole piece about this movie, about how it's really about generations and and Mm -hmm. understanding when it's your time to move out of the way and mentor other people. And I wrote it about, you know, my piece was saying, like, this is kind of what baby boomers should be taking from this movie. (laughs) And months later, I actually got an email from Andrew Stanton, the director of the film, saying, Mm -hmm. I I saw your piece and you're actually, that's exactly what we were talking about when we were writing the movie. Um, Which is the first time that's ever happened to me, to have the creator of something be like, yeah, you, you understood what we were doing. And people can read that on Vulture? Yes, they can. Good. Yeah. Um, well, but I, I thought that movie was, again, entertaining as a children's film, but also had a lot of other things going on beneath the it surface. It is amazing how the Toy Story series continues to uh, to be uh, valid, and and so clearly it's good writing. Yes. I had, uh, This is a movie that just spoke to me this year, and, uh, you know, I think you have to be able to do a 10 best list. You have to throw something on nobody else has seen. Mine is The Last Black Man in San Francisco, a young man in love with a house and his past wrestling with the future and change, and it's all about San Francisco and gentrification, and family, and loss. And uh, if you get a chance, see The Last Black Man in San Francisco. The music is 
lovely, too. Mm-hmm. So my six is actually the movie that uh, the Washington Film Critics Association shows as the best movie of the year, which mm-hmm. I, I don't have an issue with at all because I thought it was great, and that's Parasite. Right. Um, which is a film you know, about a family that slowly infiltrates this very wealthy household <laughs> Um, and they're making money off of them. And it's a really interesting, you know, commentary on class. It's very sly. It's very sly. But it's also, I mean, I thought it was a horror movie. That was the impression I got uh-huh. from the way it was marketed. Uh-huh. And it kind of is. But it, it again, it's another movie that's doing kind of a lot of different things at once. And in a way that is not confusing and doesn't feel like they're trying to do too much. It's just really well, well made. It's sly and funny and then suddenly takes a turn. And it's like, whoa, wow. Yeah. Parasites on my list. I also put The Farewell on my list, and I hope it does well at uh, awards time. Aquafina and her grandmother outsmart the rest of the family. I just, I I think these kind of stories about three generations of a family, and they go back to uh, China to um, sit with the grandmother whom they think is dying and, and but not telling her that she's seriously ill, which is in that culture and, uh, it's just it's uh there's a a lot going on in the farewell. I think mm-hmm. I like Aquafina too. I do too, and I, and I think that's a movie that was emblematic of another trend in in the decade of looking at immigrant stories. Because Aquafina's uh-huh. character in this is, yeah. you know, she's living in America and she goes back to China for yeah. the first time in a long time, and the kind of cultural differences and and how she realizes she's gotten disconnected uh, in a lot of ways. I think that was a theme in a lot of really good. Films and TV shows during the past 10 years. Would you call Parasite an immigrant story? I guess you could string I mean, because it's, it's more in their culture. It's not yeah. in America. Yeah. Um, but, but certainly, again, <laughs> stories that are looking at other cultures completely. You know, Crazy Rich Asians is another yeah. one. There's, there yeah. are a lot of those. Okay, your turn. My turn. What number are we on? Five? Five, four. I don't know. Five. I think we're on five. <laughs> yeah. The movie that Arch Campbell made me see, uh, Booksmart. <laughs> And you're a smarter woman because of it. I am. I am. Are you, wasn't that your kind of movie? It was my kind of and movie. And Queen and Slim is the other one, I'm telling you. Okay. I, no, I will watch it. I will watch it. But I thought Booksmart was, you know, I love a good coming-of-age story. I love a good high school movie. And this was both of those things, um, just a real, and a smart movie about female friendship and and codependency and how you deal with that at that age. And you and I were on a panel and you showed a scene from Booksmart that just uh, uh, encapsulized the whole thing. It was it was uh, one of the best presentations I can remember. And it's funny because I thought I had done it wrong. Like everybody else uh-huh. got up there and was like, The Godfather right. and Network <laughs> and Annie Hall. And I'm like, um, a movie that came out a month ago is what I have for you. And, and <laughs> yours was the thing that added to that panel. So thank you. Uh, I want to remember uh, Jojo Rabbit from mm-hmm. 2019. The little boy comes of age with the help of his imaginary friend Hitler in Nazi Germany during the last days of World War II. The little boy is just delightful. Uh, Scarlett Johansson plays his mother. There's a couple of turns in there that that go from comic to sad. I, I just thought it was a delightful film with a nice depth to it. Good performances. Sam Rockwell, the uh, supporting kids. And, and the kid discovers that his mother, uh, although Hitler is his imaginary friend, his mother is uh, hiding a, uh, a young Jewish girl up in the attic. And uh, it's kind of the way we as children figure out the world. I thought it was a terrific piece, Jojo Rabbit.
Yeah, I, that's one that maybe I should have put on my list too because I the premise of it sounds horrendous. Like, mm-hmm. oh, what if Hitler yeah. is a fun imaginary friend? Uh, but it's funny, but it's also really moving and yeah, just it's it's a surprising movie. So number four on my list is Marriage Story. Ah, yes. Uh, which it felt like when it landed on Netflix a couple of weeks ago, everyone on my Twitter feed was watching it simultaneously. Uh, which I'm kind of glad about. I know there's a lot of controversy around Netflix, but I feel like the kind of movie like that, you know, a, an adult film, no superheroes, whatnot, if, if they had just released that in art house movies, I do not think as many people would have seen mm-hmm. it, despite the fact that Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson are in it. And I I just thought it was very well acted. And It's uh, the acting for you, particularly. That, I mean, that's... I thought Noah Baumbach did a great job of writing and directing, too. But, um, but I, I mean, I think if the performances weren't as good as they were, it wouldn't have been as compelling. It's, it's painful to watch at times, but it is certainly realistic, and it has certainly touched a nerve. Mm-hmm. I put Parasite with you, so I'm going to go up to number two, The Irishman. You may find it long, but I thought Scorsese perfected the crime thriller, and I was moved by Robert De Niro, who at the, is shown at the end of his life, really unable to, trying to go to confession, mm-hmm. and unable to really deal with the uh, choices he made as a, a mob hitman. And I, you, the combination of Pacino, De Niro, and Joe Pesci just spoke to me. I watched it twice, and it's long, Mm-hmm. And uh, I watched it in a theater, and every old person says, oh, I watched it. I didn't even go to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> it's the mark of great cinema. <laughs> it is. Well, I, I can't see your paper, uh, but I have a feeling my number three is your number one. Yeah. Once Upon a Time in exactly, Hollywood. Exactly, yes. Uh, a movie that I thought was just incredibly well done, greatly acted, and also I had huge problems with at the same time, mm-hmm. but it was, was still so well done that... You know, I had to rank it pretty high. I just, I loved what he did, and I loved the way he caught the vibe of L.A. in the late 60s. Without giving too much away, Tarantino creates a uh, an alternative history, and this, this, this just uh, spoke to me. I loved it. So, my number two, I was debating during this, you know, intense 30-second period that I spent on this list, whether to make number two my number one or vice uh, versa. Uh-huh. But um, my number two is Us. Yeah, yeah. Us is very important. You know, we were talking about Get Out as far as uh, being one of the best movies of the decade. And a lot of people left Us saying, oh, it's not as good as Get Out. Mm-hmm. And I think that's because Us is leaves far more open to interpretation. It's it's a more complicated movie. Right. Um, but I thought... You know, I wrote a piece about that movie about how I thought it was actually a commentary on Generation X in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the pop culture kind of references are very much of that generation. And Jordan Peele is is an Xer. Um, so that was what I took away from it. But you can also take a ton of other things away from it as well. And it's just as a suspense film. I mean, I don't usually yeah. yell at the screen, but I was doing, <laughs> like, don't go there. <laughs> well, and the acting and the subtleties that the actors and actresses had to infuse in this is uh, is uh, incredible. And I thought Lupita Nyong'o, like she deserves to win Best Actress for that, in my opinion. So I've replicated a couple of years. So what? What? Where does that leave us? What's left? Well, your number one is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, yeah, right? Yeah. What's your number one? <clears throat> my number one is Little Women. Oh well, good for you. Yep, I thought good uh, Little Women deserves your attention. 
And so my 10 best and your 10 best, it looks like we agreed on Little Women, Parasite, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yep. Right. Yet again, guys, a little disappointed here at this end of the studio that you didn't didn't go with my number one movie for 2019, yes. a Tyler Perry's A Medea <laughs> Family Funeral. I mean... I mean, you guys are the big critics well, here, but I don't know. Maybe, you, you know. I don't know. <laughs> Tell Tyler we missed that. Yeah. You're listening to At The Movies with Arch Campbell, Jen Cheney, and Lou Katz. So Jen is our expert on TV. I call it cable and streaming because I don't watch TV. I don't watch... But cable and streaming is TV. Well, you're right. So, well, okay. So, it's it's uh, cable and streaming. And uh, you can read uh, her thoughts on Vulture.com. And I am interested in your best show of the year list. And I made one myself. Okay. So... Should we start at the bottom again? Sure, let's do. Okay. I hope I, uh, I'm going to add the finale of Veep Oh, this nice. Year. Yeah. Just the finale. Just the finale, just the last what, episode. Well, you know, as for this year goes, but I was a big fan of the series Veep, and I thought it really propelled uh, political humor forward. And I thought their finale uh, wrapped things up about as well as they could. Yeah, I have Veep on my list at number seven. Oh, good. And I thought, you know, the whole season was, was good, maybe not as good as some of their other seasons had mm-hmm. been. No. But... I was actually there for the entirety of them shooting and writing the finale, um, so I'm a little biased. But I agree with you that I thought, mm-hmm. you know, they really leaned into the darkness of the material, and the way it ended is very funny, but also really tragic. Yeah. And I just, Julie Wee Dreyfus has the capacity to play, you know, ridiculous pratfalls and these really emotional, shaded moments. Um, she's an extraordinary actress, but that whole cast is tops. Right. So my... Um, my number 10 show is actually You're the Worst, oh. um, which also had its final season this year. And this, this is a show, it was on FX and then FXX, I guess, about a couple that doesn't really believe in commitment, somehow <laughs> trying to navigate a relationship. And everybody on it is, you know, they do horrible things, but in a kind of funny way. And the last <laughs> season really it kind of deconstructed all of your expectations of when you watch a romantic comedy and it managed to end on a note that was very true to the cynicism of the show, mm-hmm. but was still romantic and charming. So I, I really liked that that season. Uh, what I saw this year that really impressed me was the series on Chernobyl. Mm. The acting and the content and uh, the manner in which they rolled it out. Uh, it, was, it was compelling. I thought it was just uh, such a drama. Mm-hmm. And based on the Chernobyl uh, nuclear accident... I just, I thought it was a wow. Yeah. Uh, and not something that you would think you'd want to watch. Mm-hmm. You would think maybe that would be kind of dry, but they, they really brought it to life. And I almost had it on my list. The only reason it's not is because my list is so HBO heavy that I had to remove something <laughs> HBO. Uh, it's, it's kind of ridiculous. My number nine show is Pen15. I don't know if you had a really? chance to no. see. No, what is that? It's a, a Hulu show um, where uh, Maya Erskine and Anna Conkle, who created the show, they star as preteen versions of themselves <laughs> growing up in funny. the year 2000. But everyone else in the cast are actual like 12 and 13 year olds, uh. but they are like 30 year old women playing themselves, <laughs> which sounds like a recipe for just some weird stuff to happen, but it's... It's really, really funny. And even if you didn't grow up around that time, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that are very specific. Like there's a whole episode about them using an instant messenger on AOL that's very, uh, very funny. 
but even if you didn't, it just it it really really resonates and and is reminds you of how awkward it was to be that age. A show I have loved, uh, and uh, the second season might not have been as good as the first, but I put it on anyways. Killing Eve, mm. the acting and the dynamic between the assassin and uh, Sandra O, oh, and and the uh, supporting cast in there, and uh, the first season was probably perfect. The second season, not quite so much, but still, uh, I watched every episode of Killing Eve. So my next one is the show that I probably had the most fun watching the whole year. And surprise, it's on HBO. Uh, it's a black lady sketch show. Ooh. And it's it's significant in that it's the first sketch comedy series to be acted entirely by uh, a cast of black women, directed entirely by a black woman, written oh. by entirely black women. Ooh. And the sketches go into these wild directions that you don't expect and they're also at the same time doing a, a level of social commentary at the same time oh, as they're being funny oh. in a lot of these sketches they do a um a parody of the tv show pose about the ballroom oh. scene that is hysterical right. the, you know the, they, they're doing like um billy porter like the category is clinical depression and then everybody comes in like looking do, awful. do i know some of the performers <clears throat> you probably do and i'm, I'm trying to remember the names because i didn't write them Jen, you're not alone. That happens to us all the time. It was created by Robin Thede, who had a show on BET, like a talk show for a little while that mm-hmm. got canceled mm-hmm. pretty prematurely. She's sort of the the ringleader of it. Uh, and cool. I mean, some of these other women you may not have seen. And what's it on? It's on HBO. They are okay. they renewed it for a second season. I, I'm it was on over the summer, so I'm guessing it'll come back around. The and same tell time. me the name again. A Black Lady Sketch Show. A Black Lady Sketch Show. It's exactly what its title says it is. Okay, I got to throw Succession in there. I uh, caught up with all three series or all three seasons this year. Uh, You know, I like the idea of it. I guess it's based on the Murdochs. Kind Very of. loosely, yes. Yeah. Uh, they're the family you love to... The one percenters you love to hate. <laughs> like Brian Cox. I, every, every now and then, uh, Gina, my wife, would get up and leave the room. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I like the acting on Succession. The family, they can't quite decide who's going to take over the old man's business. It was good in season one. Season two was better, and it also just took off in terms yeah. of cultural conversation and and all of that. I have that on my list at number five. And I had Veep at number seven. So my number six is BoJack Horseman. Oh, yeah. Which uh, it's the first half of its final season dropped on Netflix this year. The the second half is going to debut in January. So it's almost over. And I'm going to be so sad when the show is over because it's just so smart. And Mm -hmm. it's also one of these shows that dances between really funny comedy and just really serious um, right, commentary. Sad material. Yeah. yeah, but, and like every frame of it, there's so much going on that you have to watch episodes more than once or pause your, your Netflix to see all the Easter eggs that are in there. This surprised me, but I liked uh, the Ken Burns series on country music this mm. year. I liked the entire series, except for the concluding episode. Mm-hmm. I felt like he uh, didn't quite know how to end it. Mm. But the rest of the material was, uh, you know, I learned something every time I watched it, you know, and he goes back to uh, the roots of country music and to the role of radio. And then he gets into uh, the more modern era and Dolly Parton 
And uh, there was a lot to uh, Emmy Lou Harris. Mm-hmm. There was there was a lot to admire. I thought in uh, country music. I didn't see that actually. I, I should check that out. I especially like that he traces it to uh, the early days of uh, Clear Channel Radio mm-hmm. when uh, WSM, especially in Nashville. Uh, was uh, uh, giving a uh, venue to these performers who lived in the hills around Nashville Mm -hmm. and how uh, it uh, went from there. So we talked about succession. So the Mm -hmm. next one on my list is Watchmen. Yes. Which now that I've actually seen the end of it, I might have even bumped it up higher than number four. Right. I got Watchmen on my list too. Just a, a tremendous season of television. The alternate history is just... It's just so uh, loony and creative, and uh, and the social commentary they get in at the same time. And Doctor Manhattan is up there creating life, and you don't know what his role is. And it it was just completely creative. And as I told you, I loved the uh, series The Leftovers, mm-hmm. where eight percent of the population disappears one morning, and everybody else is trying to figure out what happened. And it's got that vibe. Just I don't know if I want another season of it or not. I, that's it's how so I feel. rich because it's so perfect that you're like maybe just don't touch it. I don't know. I can't decide. I think this year you have to put the crown into the uh, third season with Olivia Coleman. And uh, Helena Bonham Carter, every episode of The Crown, I learned something that I was not aware of. Mm-hmm. You learn the roots of Prince Charles' uh, love for Camilla, and you, you see it in an entirely different way. The, the uh, Earl Mountbatten and the possibility of a coup, and just, I thought it was uh, fascinating and educational. I did too. It didn't quite make my top 10 list, but I thought it was very good. Last HBO list uh, or show on my list, I swear, is Barry. Yeah, Barry. Which we've talked about before. Again, one of these shows that you feel like you've seen shows about hitmen trying to get out of the throes of having to do that job. But this is just done in a completely different creative way. The role for Henry Winkler. Henry Winkler is great in it. Oh, my goodness. I thought Stephen Root, who's uh-huh. been around forever, oh, yeah. his character took some surprising turns this season. You thought that guy was just kind of a complete idiot. And maybe he's not as dumb as you think he is. He's still a little bit dumb sometimes. But, uh, I mean, I just thought at every level, as good as season one was, it, like, upped its game. There was an episode that involved uh, martial arts, mixed martial arts, that I think was the most creative thing I have ever seen on television. The episode was called Ronnie Lilly. Yeah. And it's it's Bill Hader, yes, facing off against not only uh, a martial <laughs> artist, but then a girl who the might mar- be a vampire ninja. I'm not really <laughs> sure. But, uh, yeah, that was a great episode. It, it was like, it was a Roadrunner cartoon. <laughs> it, was a, it was a Warner Brothers cartoon. It was just incredible. Barry's on my list. And uh, that leaves a spot for Fleabag, mm-hmm. which I thought... Uh, I enjoyed the first season, but I thought the second season was brilliant. Fleabag is my number one. Yeah. I wrote a very, very long piece for Vulture about why it was the best show on television. Uh, and there are many reasons why. But I think one of one of the things that that show does so well, and season one was good, but you're right. Season two was a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. 
because Phoebe Waller-Bridge, who also wrote it, a lot of people do Breaking the Fourth Wall. It's been done well before, but she has a way of of doing it that is maybe better than I've seen anybody else do it. And it it makes you develop a really intimate relationship. And they call it out when she starts falling in love with the Mm -hmm. the hot priest. Mm -hmm. The fact that he starts to notice is is, is really wonderful. Who are you looking at? Why why are you doing that? Yeah. Who who do you who are you looking at when you when you look away like that? And it's and it's funny, but it's also this. It's a way of saying like this person sees her and understands her in a way that no one else in her life has so far. And you know, the the, she broke the wall, and then she got to where she would just turn and wink to us because we were in on it by then. Yes. So she brought us along. It was. It's it's incredible. Incredible it is. I'm with you on that one on Fleabag. Now, Art, you were telling us earlier uh, before we started the podcast that your 10th one would be about the state of television. Just the demise of broadcast television. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, because of where I come from, I just, I can't believe there's no programs people are talking about on NBC or CBS or ABC or even Fox. I mean, I wouldn't say there are none. Yeah. But there aren't as many as uh-uh, there used to be, uh-uh. for sure. And uh, and they don't seem to be in the game. Mm-hmm. They're doing the voice and uh, dancing with the stars, and they're real, they're not in the game anymore. I would say that's maybe somewhat true. But for example, the Good Place that's a show that a lot of well, people talk okay. about. Unfortunately, it's that's about right. to end. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> but okay. uh, that's a great network comedy. Um, I think Blackish is a great network comedy. This is us. People talk about. I, yeah, I, I can't get into it. I, I was into it for a couple seasons, and then I kind of that. Well, that is them. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, <laughs> okay. I'll. I'll. I withdraw the comment. No. It's no. But it is. You're not wrong. I mean, but, it certainly doesn't have the importance that it once no, had, and it's no. diminishing. And that's why you know NBC is starting its own streaming service very yeah. soon because they are trying to figure out how to be in the game. You know, CBS had one where they did kind of a spinoff of uh, The Good Wife. The Good Fight, right, yeah. which is a good show. <laughs> and uh, Gina insisted on watching that, so we joined uh, CBS, and it was a good show. Mm-hmm. So should we go the uh, best uh, TV of the of the year? Well, I have one show left. It was my number two, which we've talked about before, and that's Unbelievable on Netflix, which is based on a true story. Yeah. Um, it's a crime series, but very much from a woman's perspective, and it's just excellent. I got to watch Unbelievable next, and that's HBO? No, that one's ne- uh, Netflix. Oh, that's Netflix. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll watch it. So we were going to do the most important of the decade. We yeah. just did the year. Right. So that's where I put the demise of the broadcast network. Sure, sure. Uh, but I put uh, American Crime Story, and specifically The People versus O.J. Mm-hmm. That, in the last decade, sort of just uh, re-energized that uh, crime procedure mm-hmm. drama. Yeah, and it was surprising because I don't yeah. think people thought it was going uh-uh. to be as good as it was. Mm-hmm. So I need to explain my list a little bit <laughs> because um, the TV team at Vulture, of which I am a part, mm-hmm. did our best of decade and TV and did it in the way that we always do things at Vulture, which is what can we do to make this as hard and make us want to kill ourselves <laughs> as we can? Um, so we had, a t- I don't know what the total shows we had, but we had categories at either end of the spectrum from bad to great. We had one, you know, this is the best show of the decade, which was a huge argument that went on for several weeks that I lost. <laughs> and then, so I, I have kind of made my own best of list kind of using what we did on Vulture um, as a guide. So my number 10 on the list is Parks and Recreation. Uh-huh. 
um, which yeah. was a broadcast show, unfortunately is gone. Um, it's over now, but, um, like it's one of those shows if you're if you're trying to figure out a comedy to watch like for me with my son that he would think it was funny sort of like if they've been through the office already what would you watch with them and it's the answer is parks and recreation right. but it's really good hearted it's about like local politics um but it's not a political show at all Amy Poehler I mean and, and what a cast my god Amy Poehler Aziz Ansari Nick Offerman Chris Pratt before he was a Marvel superhero uh, Aubrey Plaza I mean just phenomenal actors right. in it. Love her. And for the decade, I have to add uh, The Crown, mm-hmm. just because uh, it was so beautifully produced. And the first two seasons were uh, delightful, and then they've changed the whole cast, and it's still uh, delightful. So for my number nine, I would have put Big Little Lies on this list if they hadn't made a second season. Yeah, the second season really stunk. Yeah. So instead, I have put Sharp Objects. Ah, which was a limited series yeah. that Amy Adams starred in really atmospheric and, and it just put you in this headspace. Who played the mother? Patricia Clarkson. Patricia. Yeah. And she's, you want atmosphere. Yes. <laughs> and, and Amy Adams character has a huge drinking problem. So there's a sense uh-huh. that you're always in a little bit of a haze. There's a lot of Led Zeppelin in it. Cause she's constantly yeah, listening to Led yeah. Zeppelin and that goes in directions that you don't necessarily expect either. That's a great, great season of television. And of the decade, Barry certainly just, uh, you know, broke through. We've already said that. And Veep as well. And you were talking about music, and I'm I'm roaring through a lot of things here. One of the things that got me about Watchmen is their use of music. Mm. After every episode, I would go online and look up what songs they were playing. Mm-hmm. Their their music uh, was terrific. Yeah. Not to go off on too much of a tangent, but I wrote a, I wrote a piece about the finale of Watchmen and talked about mm-hmm. at the very end of the episode, they play um, I Am the Walrus, a cover yeah, of I Am the Walrus. Yeah, yeah. And I went down a lot of rabbit holes about that song that and how it connected back to the show. But there was another song they used. It was I Don't Want to Set the World on Fire, whatever. Oh, that, I don't know if that's quite the, the title. Uh, but that was brilliant because it was in the episode where Regina King takes the nostalgia pills mm-hmm, that put her back in her mm-hmm. grandfather's memories. In the comic, nostalgia is a perfume by Adrian Veidt. And that song, when I hear that song, I think of the perfume commercials from right. the 1980s. So yeah, that was very, yeah. like a specific choice to like conjure something in your mind as well. So anyway, I could go on and on about that. Right. Show, which is somehow not in my best of decade. I don't know why. Uh, <laughs> another one on my list is Halt and Catch Fire. I don't know if you ever watched that show. No, no. No one seemed to have watched it. And it's unfortunate because it's so good. Uh, it was on AMC and it starts out in the 80s. And it's about the PC boom, about a, a group of people trying to uh, make the next big personal computer. Oh, yeah. And it, the first season is decent, but it really takes off in its second season. And it eventually goes all the way up into the 90s where they're trying to figure out how to do something interesting on the internet. Great, great show. Highly recommend. I believe it's all on Netflix now if you haven't seen it. Of the decade, I mean, we just talked about it, but uh, Fleabag goes down as uh, one of the greats of the decade. What's the most important series of the decade? You know, what's, what's the most impactful one? I guess it's Breaking Bad combined with Better Call Saul. Mm, no. See, Breaking Bad, we had a rule on our list. Like, it had to, <laughs> the show had to have aired a, num- a, a certain amount of seasons in this decade to qualify. And Breaking Bad was split enough. It oh. ended in 2013. Mad Men qualified because it ended in 2015. Mm-hmm. Okay. In terms of important, not necessarily that it was my favorite, mm-hmm. 
but the, it's indisputably it's Game of Thrones. Like, yeah, that was the yeah. biggest show of the decade. It was what everybody talked about. Everybody's still trying to make the next Game of Thrones. Like, I feel like that's inarguable. I'm, for me, it might be the Americans. I personally have the Americans very high on my list. I loved that series. I'll run through my others more quickly. Right. Yeah. Well, I have revealed. <laughs> All of my cards here. I didn't uh, mean to. I have Atlanta, which is another great series mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, on FX. Uh, we talked about Veep already. Right. Uh, BoJack Horseman is on my list. And then my right. top three, Enlightened, which aired for two seasons on HBO and is just so amazing with Laura Dern. Uh, it should have had a third season. HBO canceled mm. it for reasons I don't comprehend. She's on a roll. Yes, she is. Uh, then my second is Mad Men. I, I, right. It's just... You know, the nostalgia episode, the carousel episode of Mad Men, Mm -hmm. I recalled as I was watching the nostalgia episode of Watchmen. Mm -hmm. Yes, so did I. Yeah. So did I. One thing I will say about Mad Men, I mean, obviously it was a drama, it was a great drama, but as it went on, it was really funny. Like, there are a lot of very Mm -hmm. funny moments Mm -hmm. that I still quote on a daily basis from that show. We went back and rewatched the whole thing from season one to the end. And uh, the early seasons were especially strong, mm-hmm. surprisingly so. Yeah, I love Mad Men, and that's a show that I will go back and watch yeah. over and over. My my number one in the decade is The Leftovers. Really? Because mm-hmm. I loved that. I, I just loved it. I loved it, and I loved that, you know, it was, it was three seasons, and it kind of landed right in the middle of the decade. And the idea, you know, the last season aired in 2017. Again, I keep putting everything in these political terms. But the idea behind that show is like, when, what do you do when something completely unexpected and tragic happens and you're just left standing there going, how did this happen? Yeah. And that's how I felt after Trump was elected. And I feel like that last season, like, captured that feeling in the same way that Lost, which was another one of Damon Lindelof's shows, like, captured a post 9-11 vibe that was in the air of what do you do after a horrible thing happens. I like that The Leftovers introduced me to Carrie Coon, and I've been a huge fan of hers ever since. I think that was the performance of the decade. She was just phenomenal in that show. And I think the second or the last season was shot in Lockhart, Texas, which is where I go to get barbecue when I go down to uh, Central Texas, where I'm from. That's funny. Yeah. I will boldly state that it was a better decade for television than it was for film. I'm thinking and thinking and trying to put the put it into context, and I think you just did it. Should we make any recommendations for the weekend? People certainly like Knives Out and Little Women. You want to go see something good, go see Little Women. Mm-hmm. Definitely. If you're staying at home, uh, John Mulaney, who is a great comedian, has a, a new... Um, special on Netflix called John Mulaney and the Sack Lunch Bunch. <laughs> and he, he's done it in the vein of like an old, like a, a children's television show where uh-huh. he has little kids around him and, and it's very funny and charming. Wow. And you'll enjoy it. So Lou, are you ready for our movie quiz? <laughs> I don't think I am. Well, I am because I, I wrote the question and I have, I know the answer. Oh, aren't you giving it away? Yeah, well, no. Here we go. How many times has Meryl Streep Lost the Oscar. Hmm. Do you want a hint? Sure. I know it's a lot. 
Well, she won three times. Right. I know, yeah. That was the number I was going to guess for the, the wins. Oh, three. And she has like, doesn't she have like 19 nominations? 18. 18. Gosh. Okay. Wow. So there you go. Arch Jen, love those lists. Right now, I think it's time for our guest critic. More than 20 years ago, Dave Hughes started the website DCRTV with all the behind the scenes gossip of all of my friends who were and are working in media. Dave is still around town, and DCR-TV is bigger than ever, and he is our guest critic this week. So let's welcome Dave Hughes to the program. Hi, how you doing? Dave, uh, I I didn't realize that you were a movie fan until I talked to you the other day. How many movies do you see a year? Uh, Very few. What have you watched lately that you particularly like? Uh, the two films I've seen lately, of course, are Knives Out and uh, that one is a Mr. Rogers movie. Uh, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, whatever. Uh, I like both of those. I thought they were very good. Tell me about Knives Out. What was it that did it for you in that? It just was a nice kind of an old fashioned movie in that respect. Yeah, it was kind of an update of uh, Ten Little Indians or And Then There Were None. Yeah. Yeah, ten little Indians and some Columbo thrown in there, you know. And it, was, it just reminded me a lot of that old television. I like a lot of old TV and the old detective shows. Clue? Did you ever see the movie Clue? It kind of remind you know. I was looking for um, Colonel Mustard to show up. Yes, I thought you. I thought you said. I thought you said Clute. I'm like, Wait, no. well, Clute well, yeah. too. Yeah, Clute. I don't think but... there's a candlestick in Clute. Was there? A can- no. <laughs> So, and uh, you mentioned a a second movie, the Mr. Rogers movie, uh, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, uh, which is interesting because it's set in the uh, public television station of Pittsburgh. And I thought the televisions, uh, the scenes they showed of his production rang true. Yeah. It was interesting, too, how they used the different... You know, picture qualities. They use the TV quality, the the old four by three old TV tube TV for the they you know that that frame. They've used that for the old Mister Rogers, and then they would pop over to the widescreen movie stuff for the others. I like the movie, and I you know I I'm always admired Fred Rogers. He's been a really cool cat, but. It was, it was more about, uh, what's his name, Reese? Uh, the journalist, yeah. The magazine guy, right. He was the, the whole story is basically him interfacing with Mr. Rogers and how Mr. Rogers kind of gives him advice and helps him out and, and makes his life better and his relationship with his dad better. And it's a nice movie. I just found like, well, there isn't enough Mr. Rogers in this. I don't like to see a little more about him. I don't know. It kind of fell flat on that level for me. So, uh, so you're mixed on a beautiful day in the neighborhood, but you're you're sharp on Knives Out. Knives Out was good. I did not like Daniel Craig's accent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was doing some sort of New Orleans accent, and I didn't like the fact that I liked Jamie Lee Curtis a lot, and she was billed in this movie. And we didn't get to see much of her. You know, she's not a main character. And I was waiting for the end of the movie to come. And then all of a sudden, Daniel Craig would go and point to her and go, but you, you were the one that masterminded this murder. I was waiting for that. And it just didn't happen. And I'm like, ah. So 22 years, you've covered local media in town. And, you know, and I've been uh, in touch with you for many years and enjoyed your work. What? change have you seen 22 years later than uh, the mid-90s when you started writing about media? Well, it's, it's, 
just the, the death of localism, you know? Yeah. I mean, the only local programming on television anymore are newscasts, you know? And they're all kind of rubber-stamped out with consultants. You know, you watch the news in Atlanta or L.A. or Washington. You do have your own little, you know, people in each market. But you don't have those superstar anchors anymore. It's all interchangeable. And there's no local TV. It's like what you used to do with your local entertainment shows and, and that kind of thing. And Count Gore Vidal, Gordy Vall, who we all know and love. Wonderful local programs like that aren't there anymore. One of my favorite memories is Count Gore came over to Channel 4 one time because, <laughs> you know, he's got a regular gig now. He shows movies at the AFI, and he fills the big theater. So about 10 or 12 years ago when that started... He came over to Channel 4, and he walked into Studio A, and in his best Count Gore voice, he says, Ah, a television studio! Because <laughs> he, he does Creature Feature in his basement now. <laughs> That's right. I was on one of the episodes. Yeah, he used to live near Herndon there. And I was in rest, and he invited me over, and you go down in his basement, and there's the coffin and the whole... Nine yards. That was back, what, 2007 or eight? A long time ago, yeah. He's still doing it. Now, don't tell anybody, but he's moved to Florida. He doesn't He doesn't want it to get out. Uh, yeah, that was the big secret. He didn't want us to know that, yeah. So we won't tell anybody. Everybody's in Florida. Chris Core's in Florida. Everybody's, everybody's going to Florida. Michael Mara's in Florida. It's where all the vampires are. <laughs> hey, Dave, we, we hope you're going to give us a nice big headliner plug on DCR TV. Dave, uh, it's great talking to you, and thanks for being our guest critic. All right, thank all you guys. I appreciate it very much, uh, Lou. Yeah, you know, uh, we miss you on Wash. Oh, we'll look at I, I don't miss getting up at 3 a.m., Dave, I got to tell you. No, I bet you don't. <laughs> we'll look in on DCRTV. And uh, by the way, Arch, yes. before we get ready to wrap things up, we do oh, have yes. a, uh, another letter here. Oh, from one oh. of our. Have we heard from someone? Let me open it up and see what we got here this week. <laughs> oh, back. Yeah. Um, one of our reviews asked uh, for these to be eliminated. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine why. A. Kornheiser. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. Mr. A. Kornheiser of Comover Beach, Delaware. That's right. That's that great beach town. Writes mm -hmm. Arch. Uh, did you hear about the guy who stole a calendar? Yes, he got 12 months. No! <laughs> oh, Jen is sitting here stone-faced. Did I say I was going to be a regular on this? <laughs> You're going to be our regular next too late, year. Too late now. You've already, signed, you. you've already signed the contract. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we're going to end in uh, a really old-school style. The music you're hearing right now is a selection from Martin Scorsese's The Irishman. And Arch, why don't you describe well, this? This is when here. De Niro and Pacino go to a convention in Miami Beach. Mm. Did you catch this part? And they, they play the Jackie Gleason theme song, Melancholy Serenade. Did you catch that? I didn't catch that. It's no. really, really old school stuff. It's classic. I just want to say Happy New Year and we'll be back in a couple of weeks.
This is the Cats Podcasting System.